Welcome to Liberating Faith Podcast. I'm so glad that you have tuned in to listen. I'm Dr. Michael Stanhammer. And I have studied the Word of Faith movement for a number of years. I was part of it. I've done a lot of research. And I want to share some thoughts and insights here that might be of help to you. So listen in and see what you think. So in this episode, I want to talk about revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge is absolutely essential if you're going to understand anything about how the word of faith, faith and prosperity gospel actually works and operates. If you want to penetrate into the worldview, you need to know how revelation knowledge or even just how they view knowledge and what knowledge really is and how it works within their understanding of things. So I want to describe this a little bit and then I want to look at what are the problems with their view of revelation knowledge. But I'm going to ask also, do they contribute anything? Is there anything uh, Christians and we have to learn from this? And I think you might be surprised that there might be one or two things also helpful. So even with their view of revelation knowledge, I'll say it's a mix of baby and bathwater. So let's dive in it together. So the first thing I want to point out is when you approach the Word of Faith movement, you need to see how knowledge is at the very center of it. Knowledge makes, in a sense, their world go around. It is a knowledge-centered theology. First of all, you might think, no, it's not, Michael. It's centered on miracles. It is centered on prosperity. It's centered on, you know, you know, the gospel, things like that. Of course, I mean, all those play a part. But what I mean by saying that knowledge is in the very center is that it's it, the whole system or the whole worldview or narrative, whatever word you want to use, is empowered by a certain understanding of how knowledge works and how you gain spiritual knowledge. So the first thing I want you to see is that they divide knowledge between sense knowledge and revelation knowledge. So it comes from a basic book called Two Kinds of Knowledge that was written by E.W. Kenyon and then it went on from there and kind of morphed a little bit perhaps, but it's still the underlying conviction is that you can divide knowledge into two different groups. Sense knowledge is the kind of knowledge that you would usually think about. Knowledge that you gain in school, that you gain just by life skills, things like that. That's just knowledge that comes through the senses, through the body or the five senses, right? Five senses? Yeah, it should be five senses. Well, I have to Google that. But anyway, so when you get to revelation knowledge, this is where the word of faith makes their greatest impact because they are saying that you can gain absolute knowledge about the world of the spirit the spiritual realm. And that knowledge is gained not through the regular way you get knowledge by studying, by learning, by observing, etc. But you get it straight from the Holy Spirit. Now, not into your brain, not into your soul, that is, in the Word of Faith understanding, but it comes straight into your spirit. It's like a download. It's like a download from the world of the spirit or the Holy Spirit uh, into the human spirit. This is what makes this kind of knowledge very, very different. And it's, I mean, it's very well described as revelation, revelation knowledge. It comes as a, as just an inbreaking into the ordinary. I just want to interrupt myself for a moment and invite you to watch some of the videos that I made on YouTube and also download some of the study articles that are written. You can find them on the website. Back to the message. So the word of faith is all about knowledge. It really is. And a, a phrase 
or a scripture that you will have heard quoted a lot if you've been close to these kinds of movements is Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that verse is interpreted then to mean not just any kind of knowledge, not just knowledge of the Bible that you can just gain by studying and reading and following commentaries and so on, but this is people are destroyed for lack of revelation knowledge. So knowledge gained through revelation. This is absolutely key. And I'd say that it's the re focus on this revelation knowledge, this, this spiritual insights that is not for everybody, but some people have been gifted this kind of knowledge. This is what makes the ultimate leader in the word of faith. Sure that you have testimonies of, of healing, testimonies of prosperity, signs of that, that, that will definitely set you apart as a, a leader who has faith in the word of faith. But I'll say, I believe that most important is to give evidence that you have revelation knowledge, that you are, that the amount of revelation knowledge that you have exceeds just the regular kind of preachers and people. That will make you a top word of faith preacher. And I'm not putting any value into that. I'm just doing an observation that I'll see that the people who are really becoming key personalities within the word of faith, whether the early ones, some of them have already passed on, or even the younger generations, even those who are leading right now, or even the young ones here, I see that the person who can somehow own the prophet teacher space they might not call themselves prophet teacher, but that, that's kind of how they present themselves as a prophet teacher. They will flourish. If you can um, portray yourself as the prophet teacher who has this amazing knowledge into scripture that you haven't gained by studying, but you have gained it by revelation, you enter that sacred space of being the teacher prophet or prophet teacher. And anyone who can own that will really have an impact within the word of faith. But that space is not for many, but it's still there. And you, you might look, what, you know, use that as a, a lens and start look at some of these leaders and you find that might not use the word prophet. They might not, and, and, you know, introduce themselves with that title, but they will have that kind of perspective on themselves and on their calling. And I'd say that the reason why the prophet teacher has such an important position is because of the underlying pursuit of knowledge. We need to know. If you don't know, you cannot be victorious because it all goes back to the quality and the, the quantity of your knowledge. And one quote that has been going around for decades within the Word of Faith movement is a quote from F.F. F. Bosworth. He wrote in Christ the Healer, Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God, where, where the will of God is known. And this is quoted to say that your faith is fully dependent on your knowledge. So the level of your knowledge is directly uh, limiting your faith. So another kind of statement that you will probably have heard is you can only believe to the extent of your knowledge. You can only believe. To the extent of your knowledge and out of that comes of course the teaching that it's not just any kind of knowledge right it is a certain kind of revelation knowledge and this kind of revelation knowledge you can only get it from certain kinds of people 
who have it. So you cannot just go anywhere. You cannot just go straight to the Bible and expect to get that revelation knowledge, right? You cannot just go to any theological school or any Bible school and expect to get that revelation knowledge. You can get it from those who have been uh, gifted by this, those who have, uh, you know, have had this. And the moment you, you can identify a person or a teacher, a prophet who has this revelation knowledge, it's for you to, to emerge yourself in their teachings until you get it, all right? So it's about listening, exposing yourself to the teaching, sitting at their feet until you get it, until you grasp that revelation knowledge. So, I, I, you know, a common thing is like if you heard a sermon or teaching or whatever, read a book or something, it, somebody will ask you, did you get it? I mean, did you catch the revelation? I mean, you can use different terms for that, but the question is, did you catch it? I mean, like, did you really get that revelation that is there, right? So it comes back to this worldview where you can only progress in your Christian life to the level of your revelation knowledge. And that revelation knowledge is not democratically distributed on everybody, or it is a few people who have that. And within the Word of Faith world, some of those teachers have already passed on. So you had to kind of, you know, get that through their books and the, te- you know, and the recorded teachings and stuff like that. But it's still there. It's still that idea that your faith is dependent on your knowledge. So a, a common metaphor or story that was used that, that uh, it, it originally came from uh, Spurgeon. The, the prince of preachers in the 1800s, the Baptist uh, preacher in London, who used uh, an illustration, and it was a couple, of time, a couple of years ago since I read this in the original, so I might miss a, a point or two, but basically he was visiting an older lady who was sick. And I think she was living. She was living in poverty, and I think she was malnutritioned or something. She she really lacked the basics of life. And then he noticed that she had something framed on the wall. And so he asked her, what, what is that you have framed on the wall? It was a piece of paper. And she says, well, I can't read, but it was given to me from, uh, you know, the madam that I served when I retired. And she had been some kind of house help. So Spurgeon takes that home and he reads it. And it's like a some kind of will or a contract that, that this lady is allowed a certain ration per, per month or a certain amount of money in support and so on. But because she had not been able to read it, she was not able to appropriate it and therefore she lived in poverty. So th- these kinds of stories. So where did I get that right or not? I mean, these kinds of stories are there all the time. People crossing the Atlantic Ocean that didn't know that, the, you know, the full buffet was included. So they were eating cheese and crackers over the way. And once they step off that ocean liner, you know, they find out that all the buffet food was already included in the price. But they didn't know it, so they could not appreciate it. And that's how Christians are going through life, you know, living on, you know, just crackers, not knowing that the buffet is there. So what holds us back from enjoying life of prosperity and abundance is knowledge. Well, it's faith, sure, 
but before faith is knowledge because knowledge is what limits and also activates your faith because faith begins where the will of God is known, right? And you can only believe to the extent of your knowledge. So listen to this quote from the, the main personality within the early Word of Faith movement who has set kind of the, the doctrinal standards of the movement. He, he wrote this, What we believe is a result of our thinking. If we think wrong, we will believe wrong. If our believing is wrong, our confession will be wrong. It all hinges on our thinking. So this is kind of interesting that th this person who really emphasizes, uh, emphasizes spiritual knowledge here emphasizes the importance of thinking. And this is kind of, a, again, like a struggle within the Word of Faith worldview where there are you know, tensions between, you know, they say one thing here and then in another place they say something else. But if we just look at it in, you know, what he's saying is that what we believe is a result of our thinking. So he puts ideas as most important. And those ideas should have come from revelation knowledge. Of course, that's a given. But here, the idea is that our life is governed by what we think. And... This is how the Word of Faith works, that you should get right thinking, you should get right input, you should get the right ideas and the right revelation knowledge, because it all hinges on that. Because then that affects your believing, and then your, your actions, your confession, and your life, and so on. So if you're not enjoying the, the blessed life that you should have, you should always go back to your, your thinking and your knowledge. So that, that's a, a kind of fundamental idea, fundamental uh, yeah, commitment within their worldview. And this, this focus on getting the right knowledge, right, is, is, is generating certain kinds of practices in the movement, yeah? So what one, one practice that is so common is the Bible study. Whether you do it in a sermon, you kind of, you know, focus on Scripture and expand Scripture, and surely it's based on the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's a focus on, you know, faith being generated by hearing the word. But it's also focused on getting across revelation knowledge through the Bible. So Bible study, whether it become in a community setting, in a church or in a group, also personal Bible study is it kind of is done on the, the, the pursuit of increased revelation knowledge. So... Then, then what we do have also is the, the, the pursuit of, or at least the openness for spiritual experiences that would generate revelation knowledge. So Bible study is most important. So through scripture, you seek to access revelation knowledge, that the Holy Spirit would just give you certain kind of insights into scripture, which uh, you, you haven't seen before and many in, haven't seen ever, right? So you can get new knowledge uh, through Bible, through the scriptures. The, the, the other practice that is very common is the focus on spiritual experiences, where you have either the, a prophetic word that through the prophecy you are gaining new knowledge, or through visions and revelations of, um, you know, of, of Jesus, uh, what's called Christophanies, like, you, you know, appearances of Jesus coming to you, or even angels, or, or any, you know, things like that. So, yeah, you, you do have... Uh, you do have um, these kinds of experiences. So these spiritual experiences then uh, are there to, to uh, generate new knowledge or spiritual knowledge that was not there before. So th this is again a, a quite problematic 
part of the word of faith that emphasizes the importance of being biblical, but still, when you look beneath, have such a high emphasis on the importance of spiritual experiences and how they generate knowledge. So, there's something given within the wider charismatic Pentecostal world that experiences of God are absolutely essential. So that that's not a problem, uh, you know. Experiences and 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 having life changing experiences and so on that that's really welcome, and I welcome that too. I think that's that's uh, you know living faith. But the problem is that these experiences are meant to produce new knowledge, spiritual revelation knowledge, and this is where uh, there where it becomes quite problematic. I'll return to that point later on, but still it's worth mentioning. Another practice that's interesting that kind of comes out of this view of revelation knowledge is the idea of institution building. So the word of faith has been big in in building Bible schools, of of producing publishing houses, of uh, you know holding uh, seminars and conferences and training sessions, um, producing uh, you know newsletters fill, filled with teachings. So word of faith, then the classical word of faith, the early word of faith, especially had a great emphasis on teaching to spread knowledge, to spread this revelation knowledge. So you'll find that, at least in some, the emphasis was more on spreading the knowledge than on evangelizing. It became more of an in-church, within-Christianity movement because the, the, the main focus was to get Christians to get this knowledge. And that was transferred through Bible schools, publishing houses, uh, you know, media, those kinds of things, to kind of spread the knowledge, right? So again, all those practices are revelation knowledge based because again it comes back to the idea that you can only believe uh, as far as your knowledge to the extent of your knowledge so let's spread the knowledge let's spread you know this kind of insights so i uh you might ask so can you give me an example of revelation knowledge well uh, i mean a lot of the key beliefs the key doctrines within the word of faith are supported by revelation knowledge. When you press the argument, why should we expect prosperity? Why should we expect healing? Why is our words really creative? Uh, How is it that the world is really governed by spiritual laws? You will, at the end of the day, come back to somebody's revelation knowledge. The, the, the argument will not end with an, uh, a, you know, a exposition of scripture or a, you know, a, a, that kind of argument. But at the end of the day, it will go back to a key personality within the movement and their revelation knowledge. Because so-and-so said so. Or because so-and-so had this revelation and da-da-da-da-da. So th- this is a, 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 like, yeah, it's like the MO, the modus operandi of, of the movement is to go back into basing beliefs into, uh, you know, and, and rest them on revelation knowledge. One example I can give, though, is that th- this is a, an older example. I don't think it's that relevant anymore, but it illustrates just the way it works. So within the charismatic movement, there was uh, the clapping of hands. And at certain point, this is in the 90s, 
uh, early 2000s, there, there was that called clap offering. Give a clap offering to the Lord. So people clapped their hands within, the, within a worship setting. So one of the key leaders of the Word of Faith movement, he had a revelation knowledge that clapping of hands quenches the spirit. So even, even though the book of Psalms says, you know, clap, clap your hands, all your peoples, shout uh, to God with a voice of triumph, uh, that, that was not seen as, as something that we should do in church. So, you know, it, it hindered the greater glory. It hindered the manifestations of, of God's glory. So it shouldn't be done. And you could ask, oh, well, but, but the Bible says in, in the book of Psalms, and Psalms are written within a worship setting and within a music kind of worship context. Well, no, because, uh, you know, the spiritual father, he said it this way. So you find that the revelation knowledge then really affected our lives. And, and again, coming back to all these major doctrines, I mean, confession, again, spiritual loss, all those things, they, they also tap into the underlying conviction of spiritual, uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual revelation knowledge that are directly kind of infused or imparted into the human spirit. So I, I was, I was big part of that. I, I myself, when uh, you know, for the you know the limited uh, influence I had within my my world, I, I was looking for revelation knowledge. I, I I was seeking it as I was reading the Bible and you know, praying and, and things like that, and even listening to teachings. I didn't just listen to what they said. I was listening for the revelation knowledge behind it. And I was, uh, you know, very selective of the people that I would allow myself to give time to because if they expressed any uh, hesitancy or if they showed any lack of revelation knowledge, I wouldn't give, you know, I wouldn't give them my time because, you know, I'm on the pursuit of revelation knowledge. So the, I, I think it, it really affects the way we live out our Christian. So at this point, you might wonder, but are you know what what are the problems with this, and what are the the positives, right? And before I get into the baby and the bathwater, let me just quickly again come back to the point that the the basic the basic basic conviction that the Holy Spirit can speak and even speak new things is is something held by all Pentecostals, Charismatics, that is, those who want to live in a Spirit-filled world, op open to the working of the Holy Spirit. So, in a, in a general sense, this is nothing, uh, the, the general expectation that, that fuels this, that, that there is more to get, there is more revelation that we can have, that the Holy Spirit can actually give new light and things like that, uh, th that's not a bad thing in itself. I know that people have really reacted to revelation knowledge and, and said that this is, this is uh, you know, almost demonic, uh, this is you know, Gnostic, uh, and so on. And of course, there are some of those, could be some of those influences, but the general, the, the basic expectation that God can speak and God can reveal new light over His Word and even God can show us uh, you know, new dimensions of things, I, I think we should be, be open for that. So, and I'll come back to that, but just to, to say that I, I don't think any Pentecostal charismatic or any Christian for that matter should refuse that basic conviction that the Holy Spirit can, can speak to us things that we did not know. 
and even reveal it to us, to somebody and to us. So I think generally, uh, you know, we shouldn't be throwing out everything right away and say, well, this is just hyper charismatic stuff and it's just almost witchcraft or whatever. No, I, I think we shouldn't overreact. But still, we should be very careful. So discerning this now, how, how do we go about discerning? Well, so if we're going to look at the bathwater, the, the first thing that I think is, is very, very problematic with the idea of separating knowledge into sense knowledge and revelation knowledge, spiritual knowledge, is that it, first of all, limits the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is, I mean, the main, probably my main critique in so many areas within the Word of Faith is that they have a reduced view of the Holy Spirit, of what the Holy Spirit is doing and the, the influence and the, 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 the present work of the Spirit. Because the idea is that the Holy Spirit only can speak to the human spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot communicate to the mind or to the body. So it becomes this, what we can call the dualistic worldview, the worldview that is divided into two parts, the spiritual and the non-spiritual, the spiritual or the material and physical. And the Holy Spirit is only at work in the spiritual realm. And of course, it's not just the Spirit. I mean, within the Word of Faith, many times even God the Father you know, and Jesus are just reserved to the spiritual realm alone. So... God is in the world of the spirit, so if you want to access God in a sense, you had to do it through the human spirit. But that's not a biblical worldview. That's not what the Bible teaches about the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is poured out in the whole world, and the Holy Spirit can bring uh, attention, our attention, or bring, bring knowledge to us, bring insight to us through all of our senses and through all of our being. Yes, the Holy Spirit can speak straight to our heart and to our spirit. Surely he can. But the Holy Spirit can also give a thought. The Holy Spirit can also give a feeling in the body. The Holy Spirit can even use uh, experiences outside that we experience through the body that are supernatural. So this basic division of locking the Holy Spirit into what looks just spiritual, into the world of the Spirit, is actually quenching the Holy Spirit and limiting the life and the work of the Holy Spirit. So even though it looks hyper-spiritual, it actually is less than spiritual. So a, a spirit-filled worldview, a biblical worldview based on the scriptures and of the work of the Spirit would say that this is limiting. To divide knowledge into those categories and to say that the Holy Spirit only works and only communicates straight to the human spirit is just not giving the Holy Spirit the credit for being God and for being omnipresent, everywhere present. And to be able to communicate to, to us in all the different ways of being human, whether it be through our soul or our spirit or through our body. And God can do all that no matter how he wants it. So this is, I think, a main point that it reduces the pers personal work of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much more we could speak about here, but I will encourage you to pursue a wider understanding of the person and the work of the Spirit, especially if you've been shaped a lot by the worldview of the Word of Faith movement. I would encourage you to, to move on, to move further. 
So I, I might give some, you know, some readings on that if you're if you want to pursue just a better pneumatology. That's what it called the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the person of the work of the Spirit. I think to me that has been revolutionizing because it keeps you open for the life of the Spirit and it helps you to move further, even heal some of the problems of the Word of Faith. You can do it through the expanded understanding of who the person of the Spirit is and what He does in our lives. So, yes, I have a problem with revelation knowledge because it limits the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Also, another problem is it degrades the human body, okay? So this is a, coming back to a common issue in the Word of Faith is that it, it privileges the human spirit over the human body and the human mind. And it does so by dividing the human being into three parts, trichotomy, which is not biblical. I'm not saying that we are not three dimensions. If you want to look at a human being as spirit, soul, and body, I don't think that's a problem. There are scriptures to support that. And there are scriptures to support that we are just kind of... Uh, having two dimensions, a physical and a non-physical uh, spirit-soul dimension. So wherever you want to, you know, however you want to cut it, that I think that within the biblical parameters in a sense. And I think to me it's helpful to speak about spirit, soul, and body in some sense. But within the Word of Faith worldview, and as I've been speaking about in other uh, videos and podcasts, the idea that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body is not biblical. That's not within the biblical worldview. Because the biblical worldview is one of integration, not separation. So the biblical worldview looks at a human being from the perspective of being a, a, a complete unity. It's not that I, I have a body, I am a body, okay? It's not just that I have a soul, I am a soul, and it's not that I have a spirit, I am also a spirit. So I have that dimension. So uh, the, the point here is of integration, of seeing us as a holistic or unified being. This is what the Bible has. So when it comes then to gaining knowledge, you, we gain a lot of our knowledge through our body. That's how we get knowledge. I mean, even if we're just honest, the knowledge we get in the Word of Faith comes through our body because we're listening, you know, and we're sitting there. We're sitting in the same room with others, with other bodies. And we're listening to a body talking to us, you know. So the knowledge is, oh, well, you might say, no, 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 that's just communicated through the medium of a body. Well, no, our knowledge is embodied. So there's nothing, there's nothing pure spiritual knowledge that is just getting to us somehow uh, unmediated, uh, you know, through. So, so the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we are gaining so much knowledge even through our bodies, okay? So the word of faith here, by dividing knowledge into sense knowledge, which is then part of the worlds of the senses, which is not really spiritual, is a, a, a dualistic view of the world, which is actually not giving glory to God. And it doesn't either, uh, you know, embrace a biblical view of human beings and how we live in this world. So... We, we need to have an expanded view of the Holy Spirit, as, as I said, but we also need to have an expanded understanding of the human body and what part our human body plays in, in walking with God. Jesus was raised as a human body. 
the human body of Jesus was raised from the dead, that would tell us the importance of our human body. And there's a lot of knowledge that we gain through the experiences of our body. Okay, so yes, I think this is, uh, you know, very essential. Another problem is, I think, when you, so going from, you know, spirit, soul, body, if we continue a bit on that, another problem here is the, the degrading or the, how can I say, like that, um, looking down uh, upon serious uh, academic studies and intellectual studies. So even though the quote above was that it all hinges on our thinking, is well, it's not intellectual thinking mainly. And, and I, I see a shift in the Word of Faith movement where the younger generations are now embracing some more of theological studies and even academic work. But, but earlier on, there was a, a disdain for anything uh, theological and academic. Anything that looked scholarly uh, would just be, oh, that's sense knowledge. You know, that's sense knowledge. Uh, well, this scholar, he, he, you know, he said this, well, that's sense knowledge. This is not revelation knowledge. So, you know, who, who, who cares? Uh, you know, so there's that uh, looking down upon uh, academics, serious uh, wrestling. So I think here we have to come to the realization that, of course, the Holy Spirit can give us flashes of insight. I believe in that. But also there are processes of studying, of sweating, of working hard until you gain some knowledge that that knowledge is also from the Lord. But you had to work for it. And theologians have worked hard to get some of these wonderful insights that now are we, we can also call them, in a sense, revelation knowledge or, you know, gifts from, from the Spirit. But they have come through the process of really wrestling with the Word of God, of studying hard, of, you know, things like that. And this is not to say that every believer has to study, you know, and get a degree in theology and learn all the difficult words and languages. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but what I'm saying is that that's also uh, that, that within the word of faith worldview that's looked down upon that, you know, to get into serious academic studying and or studying those kinds of books and things like that. That's for those who do not have revelation knowledge. It's a substitute. So you play uh, academic studies, academic theology against revelation knowledge. But that, that is a false, uh, you know, false, you know, a false uh, dichotomy or a false, uh, you know, position. We, we, we gain knowledge for, from so many different ways of doing it. And it's God who gets the glory in all of that. So I think this is absolutely essential. And then, of course, with that, the moment you discard any kind of academic, serious academic engagement, uh, you know, with the, with the biblical texts and with theology, uh, then you easily end up in what we can call pseudo-scholarship. Okay, so you have Word of Faith preachers who quote Greek and Hebrew and spend a lot of time reading different Bible translations and so on, but they do not uh, consult uh, serious academic work uh, and and by and they just you know pick a few that they think are helpful but by doing that it they they will say well i researched this or i studied this i have studied so much i studied this i studied that but they haven't uh allowed themselves to sit under somebody teaching them so you you become what, what you know what we can call an autodidact it's a self-taught person and again, I know God uses that. So I'm not saying it's necessarily fully wrong, 
And I know that there are people in places who want to study, but they don't have finances, they don't have time. There are different reasons why maybe they are otherwise able, so they cannot really. Uh, and so I'm not judging that, but I'm saying that the the honesty is, it's dishonest to look like a scholar when you're not. That That's what I'm trying to say. So you discard real scholarship, but at the same time, you want to appear as a scholar and, and use the same kind of arguments. The Greek says, the Hebrew says, da-da-da-da-da. But you have never studied that. You, you have never paid the price to actually learn those languages. Uh, and you actually somehow despise those who do and who oppose your own interpretations, you know. So th there is the problem there with what we can call pseudo-scholarship. I have, again, no problem with people preaching who have not studied and learned those languages. You don't have to, but then don't give the impression that you are. That's what I'm saying. So this is where revelation knowledge, I think, gets us in the wrong direction. So uh, I, I hope you see my heart in this. But th this is, uh, I think, v very, very important that, that we don't give the impression that we have, uh, you, you know, uh, that we're, you know, s sitting on knowledge that we don't really have. And because you can end up, uh, you know, making, making stuff up, actually, that, that looks, you know, scholarly, but it only looks scholarly to those who haven't studied, you know. But anyway, that, that's another thing. So another problem I have, and you will hear me, I don't know, uh, banging this drum over and over again. And you will probably get tired of me coming back to the prophethood of all believers and the priesthood of all believers. But I cannot stop saying them because they are liberating truths. The prophethood of all believers to remind you was, you know, arose specifically during the time of the Reformation to emphasize that you do not need a mediator. You do not need somebody between you and God. You don't need the Pope or a saint or a prophet. You can go straight to God and you are also empowered to go straight to the Bible. And you are allowed to start to interpret the word of God. That's amazing. Thank you for the prophethood, uh, the, the priesthood, for, uh, sorry, uh, the priesthood of all believers. But then, of, of course, we have that emphasis on the prophethood of all believers within the Pentecostal charismatic world that all of us carry the Holy Spirit. So all of us have an anointing. All of us are anointed. So the, the focus on revelation knowledge for only a set few key leaders in the movement. It contradicts the final commitment to prophethood and priesthood of all believers. So th this is one reason why I, I think uh, I, I'm strongly opposed to the word of faith interpretation of revelation knowledge because it doesn't really empower you. It will limit you. It would put fear in you that you cannot just move on any knowledge. It has to be revelation knowledge. And also, it will tie you into, uh, into certain commitments to certain kind of people and their interpretations of stuff. And when you do that, you have signed off from your prophethood and your priesthood. So, I, and one reason why I'm doing this Liberating Faith project is because I want to empower you to move. I want to empower you to, to take these steps and take that responsibility and to be able to, to, to move into those areas. So another problem I have and another bathwater here is the idea that there is some pure knowledge out there, okay? That, that, that you can actually gain pure knowledge of the world of the Spirit. Because if it's revelation knowledge, that means it's pure because it came straight from God. Well, 
um, let's be honest, there is no pure knowledge in this life. And you say, oh, the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I'm talking about our knowledge of the Bible. I'm talking about how we, because everything we, we know, we have already interpreted. So we, we had to come to the point where all knowledge is perspectival. It's, it's affected by our perspective. It's filtered through our worldview. And that can be a shock. I mean, because, no, I just want the truth. Yeah, I, I love that heart, <laughs> you know. I love that heart. I do too. But we have to appreciate where we are right now. And we have to realize that the knowledge we have is based on our worldviews and our perspectives. Okay? That doesn't mean it can contain truth. Okay? It's not relativistic. It's not like, so just give up on everything. It's just, not, it's total postmodernism. It's just nothing is true. And you just, you know, put together your own world and live it, uh, you know, whatever makes you happy, whatever floats your boat, you know? No, 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 no. This is, this is different. We believe that you can get knowledge uh, of God that is reliable and that is genuine and is true and that is uh, saving knowledge of God, which is relational knowledge, right? But, um, but yes, yeah, so what I'm saying pure, I, I, I'm saying that what I mean by that is that the kind of idea that some knowledge, if you get it from revelation, it is beyond, uh, beyond challenging, beyond critique, and it's just to be accepted fully, Okay. And I just heard uh, a very good scholar. His name is Leroy Martin. He's an Old Testament scholar at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary in Cleveland, Tennessee in the States. He had a list of categories that makes an idol, a false god. And one of those categories he had or one of those you know, questions or whatever that he had was this. Anything you accept without criticism makes an idol. That's a very good point. Anything we accept without critique makes a, easily an idol in our lives. So I, I, I'd say that a problem with revelation knowledge is that we easily receive it without critique, without questioning it as coming pure, as pure knowledge from God. And when we do that, we have already created an idol. So this is, uh, th this is where this leads easily into idolatry uh, and directing our love, our our affections, our, our worship, our obedience away from God to something else, idolatry. So th this is absolutely essential. So just skip the idea of, of getting the pure knowledge because we have to have, uh, you know, we have to prove, we have to test everything. And we do that together. And this is another point where, where, where Paul emphasizes that, you know, any, every revelation, any uh, spiritual experience should be tested, right? Uh, he speaks about that and also how we should learn together with all the saints. So when it comes to revelation knowledge gained by an individual, you have lost the place of the community of interpreters, again, the priesthood of all believers and the prophethood of all believers, you have lost that the safety of a group of spirit-filled, God-loving, God-committed people who will, who will challenge and also uh, test the quality uh, of the content of this revelation. So that's also something that just is not part of the, the, the idea of revelation knowledge, but we need that. And in this day and age, man, do we need one another to be able to evaluate, pray together, to find 
you know, the direction forward. Acts chapter 15, of course, is the best example where, where you got, you have, uh, you know, experiences of the Spirit, you have the Word of God, and you have the community of, of Spirit-filled people who pray and seek out and discuss until they find direction. The Apostles' Council in Acts chapter 15, a great example of how to do that. But anyway, let me continue. Uh, so uh, another thing that I find to be very problematic is that it, it fosters a quest for the new. That, that we're looking for the new all the time. There needs to be a new word, a new revelation, something new. Uh, because if there's a revelation knowledge to gain, that means that there's something new to get. And again, I'm not necessarily think that's wrong. I think we should be open for new words from God. But if that becomes an end in itself, uh, that means we easily um, place the new against the already received. That means that we play against the the the, the biblical uh, you know tradition of the church, what what the church has believed throughout the ages. We play that against the new. And, and we just think that the new is better because it's new. And it's based, I think, because we live in a technological society where we think that every, I mean, a phone that is just a couple of years old is not, is not working anymore. So we need a new one. And we think often that, that kind of living in that world and that culture affects our view of revelation as well and our view of theology. So we need something new. So we, we just become like, um, like the... Uh, the people that, that Paul met, that, con that always met in Athens to, to discuss the new. The, what's, what's the new? What has happened? You know, the new. And, and the whole idea of revelation knowledge puts us on, on just a quest for the new. And then a discard for, for classical, historical, biblical Christianity as well. So last but uh, not least, I think it's uh, a problem with revelation knowledge is the idea that you can download this knowledge straight from God it doesn't give credit to other people's help and insights, okay? So, th this is a key thing for me. So, when I was in the Word of Faith, I, I took a course in theology. And I, it was a uh, just a you know a state university, and the, the teacher who was teaching, he was not representing any kind of theological tradition that I would uh, agree to. But he had a point one day when he just said loud, like, there was somebody saying something and he commented and says, don't think that you would have any new or unique thought in your life. Whatever you have thought about, somebody else would have thought about before you, you know. And of course, I think that's a bit of an overstatement, of course, but or maybe a big overstatement. But still, it's a bit of a healthy reminder that if we're always looking for the new and the unique, we will miss the, miss the truth that a lot of our knowledge is already gained through other people's insights and help. Even what we think might be a, within quotes, revelation from God often is, it has strong influence from the knowledge we have already learned. I mean, you could do this. You can look at some of the revelations uh, of Jesus that some of the early Word of Faith people had, that some of the, the, like the main leader in the Word of Faith. If you, if you study it carefully, you'll find echoes of other people's words and other people's teachings that he had sat under before and books that he had read. That he now, he accredits that straight from God, but you hear the idiom, you hear the wordings and even quotes from books that he had read but he credits it as straight from God. Well, so that will show us just 
And I'm not going to comment on the validity of the revelation or not of Jesus. I've done that in other places. But here I'm just using that as, as an example that, that what if you ascribe so much to revelation knowledge, you would be individualistic in the way you look at gaining knowledge and you will not give credit to other people's insights and help. So it, it does, it's not really honest uh, because we even the knowledge we think we have got new is usually built and a construct even of things we have already learned from others. And then you have to have an expanded view of the Spirit and say that even though I was taught this by another human, I still credit the Holy Spirit for teaching me that, right? So again, th those are some of my, my, my points when it comes to the bathwater. And uh, last, I, I, I would comment on the baby. Is there a baby in this view of revelation knowledge? Yes. I think one of the main things, and this is what I also miss and lack sometimes in other churches, is the expectation level. Because if you believe that there is revelation knowledge to be gained, you will read the Bible with great expectancy. You will come to church with great expectancy. When it's time for the minister to deliver the sermon, the teaching, the talk, you, do, you sit there with great expectancy and you will try to look through and beyond what they're saying to the revelation that God wants to give you through what they're saying. There's something very, very precious with that expectation. There's something very beautiful with that. Uh, and, and I miss that. I miss that in churches. I, and I, I can tell when I'm preaching in churches that are somehow influenced by word of faith worldview, uh, you will have a greater expectancy level when it comes to preaching and teaching. There will be an expectancy to hear from God and, and so on. And I, I, I think that's a very beautiful thing. So whether it comes to your personal Bible study uh, or, you know, in, in a group, there is an expectancy level. And also, uh, a baby here is the, the, the time spent within the Word of God. Many people spend a long time within the Word of God in personal study to get revelation. And, and I think that's very honorable to spend time in the Word. That's amazing. I think that's a baby. And that's something very precious. So, also, my third point, my last point, I think, is a commitment and a willingness to rethink. To not just say that this is how the church has believed for ages, so it must be that way. But there's something healthy, I think, in being open for something radically new that can, you know, turn our lives around and be different from what we expected. Even a new interpretation of scripture that we, we, we read it in a totally different way. Uh, I think that openness, that that's even possible, is very refreshing. And again, uh, to be sure here, I'm not talking about, you know, adding to the canon of additional inspired books and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a healthy, charismatic, Pentecostal worldview that is expecting the unexpected, that is open for a continuous um, relationship with God where God might show us even new things. That that willingness to, to, to and, and that expectancy, willingness to look forward and to be open for something that God is saying afresh and new, even if it challenges our received and accepted, uh, ex uh, you know, uh, interpretations. I think that's something precious and that that's good. 
So thank you for listening to this episode on Revelation Knowledge. I want to thank you for reaching out with questions and comments and even those who asked me to do something on Revelation Knowledge. If you have any comments or input or things that you want me to either clarify or, you know, expand on or something, let me know. Uh, you can reach me on uh, YouTube on the comment sections or through my website uh, www.liberating.faith and I would love to hear from you. Thank <laughs> you.